Happy New Year, Crossroads. Some of you might be asking, why a mission series now? And, and we're going to focus on this from uh, the book of Acts from now up to Easter. So like three months. And you might be thinking, come on, we're in the midst of a global pandemic that has reached kind of new heights, especially locally. There's few families that don't have somebody sick or know somebody sick. We're going to have a turnover in our Oval Office, and so we're all uncertain about what our government's even going to look like and leadership in the next year. We've got racial tension in our country. Why are you guys focusing on mission? And that's a great question, and one that I've kind of wrestled with a little bit, um, because it's my job to introduce this series to you this morning. And the Lord led me back to 16, 17 years ago. When at Crossroads, we, we had a really stressful time. If you were here, you know it. We just kind of refer to it as the mess now. But it was a time when um, we had almost complete turnover of our pastoral staff. We were financially stretched to about the snapping point. We had people leaving. We couldn't hardly have enough people to have a band, to put a band on the stage on a given Sunday. Those were hard times. And we tried to do a lot to just help the body heal from that time of a, of a pastor who had fallen into immorality. And there was just grief, real grief. And so one morning we even had like a grief service where we just allowed ourselves to grieve for what had happened. Um, we prayed a lot. We did a lot of things. But one of the things that happened out of that dumpster fire time was launching and planting a new church in Napoleon, Ohio that today's become known as Crossroads Napoleon. And today um, is a very established church of around close to 200 people with a stable uh, facility, uh, multi-staff, stable leadership team. They're an established church of about a decade now. And about 50 people went with Wes and Lynn Hoffmeyer from here to plant that church 11 years ago. And we praise God for what's happened. But I don't want to talk any more about that, although I could, because there's great things still happening there. But what I want to talk about is the impact that had on this body, on Crossroads. Because to do that, to send that many people away, when we're already in the midst of a real traumatic season, took a great deal of faith and missional commitment. But we were committed to that. And what we didn't expect was how much sending those people and planting that church was going to bring healing to us. And I think of all the things we tried to do in that season, planting the Napoleon Church was probably as healing and as much therapy for us as anything we did in that time. And by us, I mean the whole body of Christ here. And so when I think of that, it's like maybe this is a really good time to accentuate missions again. Because I think what happens when we do that is we, be, we have to look outside of ourselves. And we have to say, what are the needs of people there? Not just my needs. And we have to let go of some of our fears and anxieties in order to take initiative to do a kind of work like that. That's what God calls us to do and wants us to do. And I think it creates a real health spiritually, emotionally in us. And so I want to show you this morning and throughout this series that this is what God calls us to as individuals and as local churches. And the more we engage with that, the more we commit to being on mission with him, whether it's right in our neighborhood or somewhere else around the world, the healthier we're going to be as individuals and as a church, and the more we're going to flourish. 
and the will and purposes of God. So I want to just set the context. We're going to be in Acts 13 this morning, but I want to tell you what led up to this uh, at a place called Antioch. And it's first mentioned in Acts chapter 11, verse 22, says that the church in Jerusalem, so that was kind of the core of the church in the first century, at least at that time, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Verse 25, when Barnabas got there, he went to Tarsus and looked for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So that's a case of a, of a church, a gathered church in the city of Jerusalem saying, there's a new church in Antioch, we need to resource that. Let's send Barnabas there as a pastor, teacher, encourager, that's what his name means, to, to resource that church. Barnabas gets there and says, whew, I can't do this alone, I need a team. He goes and finds Saul, who was later called Paul, and joins him, and for a whole year, they teach, they disciple this church in Antioch. And the next sentence of the scripture says that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And so this church at Antioch grew and flourished until it was established, and then it became kind of a second center of Christianity in the first century. And it's up north of Jerusalem along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Amazing things happened there. Now, that sets the context. Now in Acts chapter 13, we're going to see what happened in this church at Antioch. Verse 1 says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. And I want you to notice the diversity of the leadership in this local church. They list them off. It was Barnabas who was sent from Jerusalem. Then Simeon called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Both of them would have been probably from a different country, certainly a different region. And then there's this Menaean guy who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Was he a Roman or at least raised in a Roman context? And then there was Saul, who came out of the Jewish context and was a committed Pharisee until he came to Jesus Christ. So this is this leadership team there at Antioch. Now, verse 2 says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, this diverse leadership team placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them... Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper, so they had a team that went to do this. Verse 6, they traveled throughout the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, so this is a Roman authority in that city, an intelligent man sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. He was a seeker. He wanted to hear the word of God. But Alimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at this guy, Alimus, and said, you're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that's right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over this man, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. 
when this Roman authority, this proconsul, saw what had happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And then from there, Paul and his companions, his team, sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga they went on to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and sat down. And that's what Paul did, and we're going to see this replayed over and over and over again in this series. He goes with a team of people, they come to a city, they enter the Jewish synagogue, and they teach the gospel there. They explain how the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ and reveals him. And oftentimes then in that synagogue, the Jewish leaders would kind of throw them out of the synagogue, and then they would take the word of God to the Gentiles. This is just played over and over and over again. They did what we do today. Our mission statement as a local church is this. We exist to help searching people discover and grow to maturity and mission in Christ. And that's what Paul and Barnabas went to do. Barnabas first went to Antioch and got Paul in order to help the searching people there discover and grow to maturity. They taught him for a year. They invested in him. We call that discipleship. And then out of their openness, that church, as they were, the leadership team was worshiping and fasting, they heard from the Holy Spirit that said, hey, I want you to send Paul and Barnabas to the work which I've called them. That's mission in Jesus Christ. That's why that's our mission statement, because that is what the New Testament church did. And so this morning I want to give you really kind of five ideas from this text that come right out of the narrative that I think are really important for us as individuals who I hope in this year will open your heart to God's missional purposes for you. And some of you may be thinking, you know, why a, why a mission series? How's that relevant to me? I don't even know if I'll come the next three months. Well, this is why it's relevant to you. Because God may be calling you to this kind of involvement. Anytime we see a church planted in the book of Acts, there was always a team of people. There was always what we'd call non-paid, non-pastoral, non-church planter people who were a part of it. That's why you should care. And we're going to challenge you in this series starting this morning. We want you to open your heart to say, Lord, do you want to call me to something? And so that takes us to our first point. You can see these points in your sermon notes. The first one is to recognize and stay in step with the Spirit's call. And in each one of these points, there's one capitalized word. Circle the word call here. We're going to talk about call for a few minutes. How do we hear God's call? Well, this group of leaders at uh, Antioch heard his call because they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. They were focused. They were dialed in. They had postured themselves before the Lord of the church. And this is when the Holy Spirit spoke to them. I think it's a great application for us, church. It's the same today. As we commit to posture ourselves before the Lord in worship and attentiveness and prayer and maybe even fasting, we're able to hear more. And I'm not suggesting just with our ears. It could happen that way. But I think it more often happens in a sense of our heart. And maybe that's how it happened here. This leadership team, they're praying and they're worshiping and somebody says, I don't know, you guys. I'm, I'm sensing the Holy Spirit wants to do something with, with Saul and Barnabas. And another person in the circle says, I'm, I'm sensing the same thing. And before long, they all say, yeah. And they go to prayer more. And they realize exactly what's said here. They are called to send these men out for the work to which God has called them. 
And they didn't have a lot more to go on <laughs> other than that. So we need to posture ourselves in a way that we can hear the call of God. And this isn't that hard to do. It, it sounds really mystical, and it kind of is. But honestly, what we teach you to do in terms of your daily quiet time or just our four Ps that we talk about here, you'll hear from God if you empty your heart. Pouring out the heart is so important to this. And it's so important right now, church, because we are consumed with a global pandemic. We are consumed with politics, and that controls us. And the only way we can get fully on mission with Jesus Christ and his church is to pour out some of the stress of these other things we're having to live with. And that's not easy. So we need to talk to Jesus. We need to pour out our anxiety, our frustration with this pandemic. It's difficult, difficult times. And then when we get our soul just kind of empty before God and we redirect our thinking to think about God and we just remember who he is and how faithful he is and his goodness that we have sang about this morning, we're going to want him to just fill us with the fullness of his spirit to grow us to maturity in Christ, and to compel us to the mission that he has for us. That's why this series is so relevant for you. And so our point of application here is we want you to prayerfully engage with the word of the Spirit. That is the word of, the God. That is the word of God. You have it. It's the printed word of God. And if we worship and posture ourselves before him, we'll gain that sense of, of his call for our lives. Now let me, I'm going to tell you about some stories this morning, both in our rearview mirror of how Crossroads and Crossroads people have been involved in planting churches, and then I'm going to reveal to you some residents we're bringing on in 2021 that will resource to plant churches. So the first story, let me tell you, is, uh, is when our Defiance Church, we call it King's Cross now, came into being. Um, that was on my heart for several years, that Defiance needed a church plant, and so called a young man who I discipled some. His name was Dennis. He were in Kentucky, and God stirred Dennis and his wife's heart, and they moved to Defiance to uh, kind of be the primary planter for this church. And so Dennis and I spent the better part of a year meeting with people. We would meet in restaurants. We'd get to know people. And sure enough, after a few months, a little core of people kind of emerged that I thought was, this is good. We, we got a core already. This can happen. About a year into it, Dennis came to me and he said, Pastor Matt, I was offered a job at a university in Campbellsville, Kentucky, and I think I'm going to take it. I'm like, what? What? And he said, I'm not saying it was a mistake to come here, but we feel very strongly that God's calling us to this now. And he left, leaving me with, what in the world? Some frustration. It was, wasn't six months till Sam Andres appeared on the scene. We partnered with the Archibald FEC Church, um, supported Sam as church planter. He did a great job, built a whole different core team, pulled that together. Now we have another very stable, established church in Defiance, Ohio called King's Cross that averages around 150 a week, stable leadership team. Um, Napoleon, we sent about 50 people from here to launch that. There was about 20-some people that left here to start the church in defiance. That's just kind of how this works. Recently, God has stirred my heart again along with a group of churches, about 12 churches. We call it Synergy Ohio. We used to call it the Tri-State Church Planning Cooperative. Now it's Synergy Ohio. And those leaders came to me, I don't know, within the last year sometime, and said that they wondered if, if they all were to bring on residents at their churches, if I could resource those senior leaders and some of those residents 
to just help them get going. In, in other words, to kind of expand our residency to include all of the Synergy churches. We've committed to do that. Synergy has agreed to reimburse Crossroads for 25% of my compensation. And so I'm going to try to reallocate some things and give some things away. We've got a great staff who can pick stuff up, which will allow me to use about 25% of my time to invest in residency and a broader application of it. And so one of those guys that we've already started working with is a guy named Joey Nigro, and he's going to plant a church in a rural area near Hartville, Ohio, which is kind of in the Canton area. And um, we're going to introduce you to Joey. He's going to come next month and preach one of the sermons of this series. And he's a high-energy guy, and um, we're resourcing him along with another FEC church in that area called Evermore that he will plant a church in that area. And so he's already developing a core team in that area from Evermore, and that's just how this is going to work. So we're super excited about it. And Joey's another guy who just responded to the call of God. And the people who are going to be a part of his core team are people who open their hearts to say, God, what are you calling me to do? Second point we see from this text, and it's kind of similar to the first, only I want to give a different word, obey the compulsion of the Holy Spirit. Once you know the call of God, the Holy Spirit will compel you, and it's kind of like you just have to do it. You just kind of can't say no to it, all right? That's what compulsion means. I can't not do this. And so that's what we see in Paul and Barnabas. In verse 3, it was amazing. Verse, verse 3 says, after they had fasted and prayed, they sent them off. There was no potluck. There was no email communication. There was no workshop. There was no, we got to send these guys for more education. They finished praying and they sent them. Off you go. And they didn't even really know where they were going yet. <coughs> that's a compulsion. When you can't not do it. When you just have to do it. So church, people of Crossroads, if you open your heart and you discern a call of God in your life, then you just have to obey it. And it might be scary. God might call you to realign a lot of things in your life in order to be missional and on his purpose. And that's okay. Um, when we launched the Napoleon Church, I... Wes Hoffmeyer, many of you know that name. Wes was on staff here a number of years and then was in private counseling practice. And I called Wes one day and I said, Wes, we're thinking we might want to launch an initiative in Henry County, Napoleon. I said, I want you and Lynn to pray about being a part of that. And that's just all I said. Next morning he calls me. He says, Matt, we prayed about it. We're in. I'll lead it. I'm like, dude, I want you to pray for a few weeks. I didn't even suggest a role for you. He said, no, we'd already been thinking about it. God has warmed our hearts. We're ready. When do we start? And within weeks, he had resigned from his practice, came back here, pulled together a Sunday, what we call a Sunday school class of about 50 Henry County people. A year later, we sent them, and they launched what today is Crossroads Napoleon, another healthy, super-established church in Napoleon, Ohio. Oftentimes, if we obey that compulsion of the Spirit, it means we're going to send people as a church. And maybe you'll be one of those who get sent this year. That's not for us to decide, that's for Jesus to decide. But our challenge in this series is for you to just open your heart to that. Because an application of obeying the compulsion of the Spirit is to send people. It's to send them out. To do what we do here in other places that need the gospel. Third point I want to make from this narrative is to be mission-driven. Always. 
prayerfully proclaim as you go. This comes from verse 5 of our text, if you want to draw your attention there. Um, verse 5 says that they left, they went on their way by the, sent by the Holy Spirit, and they arrived at a place called Salamis, and they proclaimed the Word of God in the Jewish synagogues. This is the MO we're going to see over and over again that Paul does. It says John was with them as their helper, so they were a team of people. After they proclaimed the gospel there, they traveled through the whole island until they came to a place named Paphos, and we'll talk more about that a little later in the sermon. They just went. And as they went, they proclaimed the word of God. And this is really the essence of what we call the Great Commission that Jesus gave us at the end of the Gospels when he said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's a great commission. That means it's for all of us. And, and Jesus sent people out. He sent them out. And, and the essence of the Great Commission, sometimes we get it messed up a little bit because we put the emphasis on the going and we think, oh, that's for international ministries. That's to send people to Africa or China or India or somewhere. But the real meaning of that word is as you go. Not go somewhere, but wherever you go. Whether you talk to your neighbor, whether you go to Walmart, whether you go to dinner, whether you go shopping, whether you go to a concert, and yes, folks, we're going to go to those places again. It seems a long way off, but it'll happen again. Wherever you go, be on mission is what we see modeled by Paul and Barnabas, and that's certainly consistent with the instruction of Jesus as he equipped his disciples and then gave them that great commission at the end of his ministry. As you go, proclaim the gospel. So whether you go talk to your neighbor or go to India, go to proclaim the gospel. My neighbor and I, we usually talk on the lawnmower. Seems to come around every so often that we're mowing lawn together, and we'll just pull up and we'll turn the machines off and we'll just talk. We've had some great spiritual conversations on lawnmowers. Now, wherever you go, whether it's mowing lawn, the store, wherever you go, proclaim gospel. Be prepared to talk about the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. Application here, worded this way, is just stay on mission. Proclaim the word to make disciples. Let the mission of Christ compel you above anything else. That's what we're asking you to consider and pray about this year. Now another big part of this that we're going to see in this narrative is our, is our next point, to cooperate with spirit-orchestrated connections. And we got the word connections in capital letters. You can circle that. One thing we see in the New Testament narrative and in our experience at Crossroads Planting Churches is we're totally dependent on what we call these relational connections of the Holy Spirit. They happen every time we do a church plant. And it's just so fun to see that because people you wouldn't expect that would want to be a part of a church plant, you'll meet them. In Defiance, I ran into a guy in Lowe's. And in the Isle of Lowe's, we talked for about a half hour and found out, whoa, this dude can be a part of our core team. You meet people in the craziest places. And that's what we see in this narrative. If you go back and you look at verse 6, they get to this place called a city called Paphos, and there they meet this Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet. The guy just happened to be on the staff team of a Roman authority, a Roman proconsul named Sergius Paulus, who was a God-seeker. He had an openness to hearing about the Word of God. And then we read the story of how bizarre this was and what happened, and because of what happened, God was obviously intending to lead this guy to the gospel. He used some bizarre set of circumstances that Paul didn't push back against, 
he confronted this man, this sorcerer, and proclaimed what it was, and God obviously told him he was going to make him blind for a while, and Paul reported that. That happened, and because of all that orchestration of the Holy Spirit, this Roman authority believed. So being on mission for Jesus, we just have to follow by faith. We don't have to figure out, we don't have to create a bunch of new stuff, because where God's going to send us, he's already working. He already had this set up in Paphos when he called them from Antioch. And that's how this works. We don't have to make up a bunch of new programs. A bunch, we don't have to buy a bunch of flashy buildings and do all this. We just have to be in step with the Holy Spirit and obedient to his call and his compulsion. And to notice the connections he's making for us. And church, we're going to see as we go through this series, this, this isn't just for missionaries and paid pastors. Because in so many cities, in Philippi, the Lord used a woman named Lydia who, who had a business of uh, textiles and working in fabrics. In Corinth, he used a couple named Priscilla and Aquila who opened their home so the church could meet there and they taught people in their home. In Colossians, it was a guy named Epaphras. In Thessalonica, it was a guy named Jason. Those are just people like all of us are. God will use a team. He'll pull people together, people who are open to his mission and to his leadership. So a point of application in this point is to discern God's providence. Who, what connections is he orchestrating? What is he orchestrating for us? That's what providence means. It's kind of a big word that just means how God accomplishes his will within the world by orchestrating relational connections, by placing people here, there, directing them here, there, um, including people in places of authority, according to Romans 13, God is responsible for people being where they're at. That's just an understanding of his providence. Now let me give you some illustrations of some unique providence God is working in our midst here. Two of the residents we're going to bring on next year, um, I don't know what kind of resident box we've had at Crossroads, but neither of these guys are in it, all right? One is a guy named Tony Wynn. He's of Korean descent, and he's from Southern California. And he's going to join us here in residency. I don't know of anybody in Fulton County named Wynn. And I can't even spell it. How do you spell it? Is it N-G? G-U-Y-E-N. What? N-G-U-Y-E-N. It's going to stick with Tony. He's a middle-aged guy, really outgoing personality, I don't know of another Korean in Fulton County. Not sure I know anybody from Southern California in Fulton County. And he's going to be a resident here. And this is totally God's providence. We met Tony, uh, AD and I, and Mark Clausing at an event at our FEC office in Fort Wayne, an orientation event and also an assessment for potential church planters. And Tony has been involved in a number of ministry initiatives over the years. And some of those have been really hard and has caused him some woundedness. And at that event, he heard about us from somebody else at the event. Somebody said, you ought to talk to Matt Boyers because they got a residency thing going on there. He talked to us, and after a couple conversations, he said, I really feel like God's calling me. I need to come to Crossroads and do a residency. <laughs> I'm like, who are you again? I don't know of anybody in FEC that spells their name like you do. Who are you? And Tony's a great guy. We've worked that out. He's going to be starting with us late in the spring. 
And as AD and I kind of finalized arrangements with that, one of the things, the last things Tony said to us was, after I go through what I need from the residency, and it'll probably be compressed, he doesn't need this full two-year stuff that we do. Tony said, I'll go wherever you guys send me to plant a church. You want me to go out east coast, I'll plant a church out there. You want me to plant a church in Cleveland, Ohio, I'll go there. Toledo, Detroit, Fort Wayne, I can come back to California, I can go to the Northwest, he'd spend some time in Seattle. He said, I'll go wherever you guys think I ought to go. You see, that's this attitude. That's an attitude that says, I just want to be on mission with Jesus. Wherever he wants to send me, I'll go. And so we have an incredible opportunity to invest in a man who has a great deal of skills and an incredible personality to plant a church somewhere. So don't be surprised if God calls some of you to go with him to wherever that somewhere is. Yeah, and it might be farther than Defiance or Napoleon. And that's not unprecedented within our network of churches. There was a man named Nairup Alphonse who was the worship pastor at the Pine Hills Church just outside of Fort Wayne for years. God put it on his heart and called him to plant a church in Denver, Colorado. The church supported and sent him, and he said, I need some people, I need a core team to go with me. Put that call out there, and several families within Pine Hills Church responded and said, we'll go to Denver with you to plant a church. We'll go out there, we'll be on mission, and then we'll find a place to live and we'll find a job. But what drove them was the mission. And I don't know, Crossroads, God may call some of you to that very thing, to realign your life, to be consistent with the call of God. And you'll know when it comes because you'll feel that compulsion. You'll, you'll say, I just can't not do this. And then when you go, you'll just see the hand of God orchestrating connections and these things for you. It's a wonderful experience, church. So discern providence. Now let me tell you about another guy we're bringing on this year. Mark introduced you to him a few weeks ago in one of his sermons. His name is Nashwan, and he's from Iraq. Nashwan lived in Mosul, Iraq, became a Christian in 1991. And if you're a Christian in Mosul, Iraq, you are in an extreme minority, all right? Um, in 1999, God communicated to Nashwan really a vision for ministry. Nashwan would say that's when he got his call. And the call was, I'm going to use you. And Nashwan was like, okay, great. And he says, I'm going to use you to love your enemies. I want you to love people, not hate them. And that's quite a thing to say to a Christian who's by far less than 1%, I'm guessing, don't, don't quote me on that data, of people in Iraq. I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That was the call that came to him in 1999. 2007, ISIS moved into Mosul, Iraq and kind of claimed that city as their headquarters. And one of the things ISIS did, this radical extremist group, if you're too young to remember this in the news, um, was they identified where Christians were. They went to Christian houses and they'd knock on the door and they'd say, all right, we'll give you three choices. You can turn from Christianity and embrace radical Islam as, and join in with us. You can flee the country or we will kill you and your family. Those are the three options. Kind of rough. Some months later, Nashwan himself was kidnapped by ISIS. 
and he was abused. He was persecuted for three days. They had him in a chair, and they just beat on him. And it was in that time that he realized the opportunity God was giving him. So he started to pray for his persecutors. And at one time, one of those guys said, what are you doing? And Nashwan said, I'm praying for you. What are you saying? He said, I'm praying that God will forgive you for what you're doing to me right now. Exactly what God had called him to do eight years before. And I'm pretty sure he never dreamed that would be the context of ministry, how God would use him. Um, eventually, they released him. Some months later, they kidnapped his 14-year-old daughter. They were able to get her back and finally realized we just have to flee the country. So they fled Iraq. They ended up in a refugee camp in Jordan. And two days after they were in that refugee camp in Jordan, they were contacted by a Christian evangelical ministry who uh, Shane and Luna Lakatos in Toledo, one of our partners with, S with social services for the Arab community, that's the ministry they work with in Jordan. They go over to Jordan once a year and do ministry with this group. And that's how Shane got to know Nashwan, and that's how Nashwan got to Toledo. And he's been in Toledo for four or five years. For the last three years, has been leading a Bible study that's in Arabic. To our knowledge, it's the only Bible study in the city of Toledo that's offered in Arabic amongst a community of about 20,000 or so Arabic people. Only Bible study. We've come to know Nashwan. We spent a lot of time with him. We've talked with him. We've had theological discussions as best we can with translators because he could probably understand this message I'm preaching this morning. He knows enough English that way, but he couldn't preach it. He doesn't speak that much English yet. So um, we've worked it out. We're going to bring him on as a church planning resident this year. Maybe we'll call him an, internet, an ICPR. I don't know. We haven't figured that out yet. But he'll probably start with us in a couple months. And um, we're going to resource him with the hope that this Bible study is someday going to grow into some type of local church amongst Arabic peoples there in urban Toledo. And one of the first things we need to do with Nashwan is to resource him with a team of people who will love him, who will support him, and who will be open to be taught by him about how to love Arabic peoples. Because see, you have to understand, we can't just go buy a building and throw out a sign and say, y'all come. Because Arabic peoples are more afraid of us than we are of them, I would say, in most cases. So the way to launch this church is to love people and to learn to love Arabic peoples. And so that's a different core team. That's a core team that wants to be taught. That's a core team that wants to give a lot of time to learn and be trained how to love people way different than them. But church, I want to tell you, it's not that hard to do. When you hear some of the stories of these immigrants and these refugees and the horrendous stuff they've come from, your heart just aches for them and you just want to love on them. So who knows? Be open. God may call you to partner with Nashwan next year. All right, got to wrap this up. We're running out of time. The very last thing I want to suggest to you, and it comes out of verse 13, if you, if you see your text, verse 13 or 14, is where one of their team members, John Mark, left them on this journey. And uh, so there was trouble in the team, all right? And that's not unusual for church planting. We see it in almost every plant. People who are a part of that core team within a couple years are no longer a part of the church. It seems like God brings them like he did this sorcerer to use for a short season. And, but it doesn't always go good. You just need to understand that. If you open your heart and you feel the call of God and you're compelled to be involved in one of these launch or core teams, 
and you're, you're seeing God do some of these awesome relational things, just be careful. It doesn't mean it's all going to be lollipops and snowflakes. It gets tough sometimes. And so this, this conflict grew so much that when later on Paul wanted to do a second missionary journey, Barnabas said, let's go get John Mark again and fill out the team. Paul said, I'm not taking that guy. He, he bailed on us in the first journey. And the dispute, Scripture says, was so strong between them that Paul and Barnabas parted company. Barnabas took John Mark and went one way, and Paul went the other way on the second journey. So our point here is we have to press on with perseverance. When things don't go as we expect, God calls us to persevere in his mission. And he's calling us to that right now, church. Yes, in the midst of a global pandemic. Yes, in the midst of of national issues and uncertainty about our own governmental leaders. God's mission has not changed. He is still calling us to this great commission of leading with love and gospel proclamation. And he's given us some amazing opportunities to invest in that in 2021. So pray about that. Just have your heart open. Just open your heart before God and say, God, would you call me to something? Would you call me to realign my life in some way to be on mission for you in a fresh way that I haven't thought about yet? Um, There's a whole bunch more points on your sermon notes. That bottom half, sorry, that was just a a clerical error in the office this week. We had people in and out, and those were some notes on my sheet that never should have appeared in this outline. So you note-taking junkies, sorry, you're really disappointed now because there's all those blanks to fill in and I got nothing for you. Um, So sorry. Matt Strait will bring the word from Acts 14 next week. But we're going to see this kind of thing over and over again, and I want you to keep in mind these ideas. Um, and apply these in your own life and heart and just watch what God does through these missionary journeys and what he might want to do through you. I'll close with this story. After, I, I told you after at Defiance there where our original planter, Dennis, moved back to Kentucky. That was a hard time for me. I was, I was disillusioned. I was like, God, I thought we had this going and now we don't. What's up with that? And so I went down to Defiance one day, actually went down to Independence Dam, if you've been to that park, and just took a walk there. There's a trail you can walk along the river from Defiance all the way to Napoleon. I didn't have to walk all the way to Napoleon, but uh, I had a walk, and God and I had a talk. And I was like, what's up with this? I thought we had our man, thought we're doing this, now we don't. Uh, I mean, I invested quite a bit of time in the last year for what? And I was really, really disillusioned. And God did speak to my heart that day, but I didn't really like what he said. (laughs) What he said was, keep doing what you're doing. Be faithful to people at Crossroads. I'm not calling you to leave and go to Defiance. Um, Just keep doing what you're doing. You guys are doing the right thing by trying to plant churches and develop leaders. Keep on doing what you're doing, and just trust me. And I'm like, Because I kind of hoped that day that there'd be some name of a new church planner or some breakthrough. I didn't get any of that. What I got was, I want you to persevere. I want you to just trust me and keep going. And so if you open your heart and God calls you to be on mission in some kind of fresh way, don't expect that it's going to be all cheery and positive. You're going you're to face some challenges. But if God calls you, he'll resource you to do what you need to do. And just stay faithful to that. Trust him and move forward with him. God, we just want to open our hearts to you this year. And 
ask, Lord, that you'd give us the courage we need to respond to your call. And I don't know what that might look like for any individual in this room or throughout Crossroads, but you know, Lord. And what you want is our full cooperation. And so um, we open our hearts to you uh, towards that end. And these songs we're going to sing now, Lord, is just really an expression of that kind of heart. And so um, stir in us as we respond to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.